continue this morning in the story of Joseph. And today we're in Joseph 39. Joseph 39. Jesus. Jesus 39. Genesis. All these J. Uh, uh, phonetically, that is. Okay. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and the captain of his guard, an Egyptian, who had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who, just a second. Um, the funny thing is that um, my uh, sermon is in a uh, folder, and a little bit got hole-punched out of the picture, so I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to read. So let me go and uh, clarify that. So Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. That is, um, so he was the captain of Pharaoh's guard, I guess. An Egyptian had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar. His master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. That's, that's, real, that's uh, our dream. Of, that's real life. Where your big problem every day is, what are you going to eat? And, and Potiphar, because of Joseph, that's the situation he was in. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. 
But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So last week, we talked about how Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob, who was also called Israel. And these 12 became the 12 tribes of Israel, in fact. Because he was the son of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, Joseph was favored over his older brothers by his father. This made his older brothers very jealous and they ended up seizing him and selling him to traders who were passing by on their way to Egypt. And then our chapter today, when he arrives in Egypt, he's sold as a slave to an important man there named Potiphar. But even as a slave, God prospers Joseph in Egypt. The Lord was with him. He became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master and God made him and the master made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. This was great except until Potiphar's wife sets her sights on Joseph. We're told that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his, in his house. He has put me in charge of everything. He has not kept anything back from me except you, because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she kept coming after him day after day, but he would not listen to her. But one day, she went into the house, he went into the house, and there was none of the men of the house there. Maybe she made that, made that happen. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in, his hand, in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And then, of course, she took the garment and brandished it in front of the other servants, and then eventually in front of her husband, claiming that Joseph had tried to rape her. So Joseph is put in prison as a result of uh, this by Potiphar, the, the prison where the king's prisoners are kept. Now, it does seem strange that a slave who is charged with such a serious crime was not executed. And so, for instance, my Old Testament professor at seminary believed that this meant that uh, Potiphar understood that Joseph hadn't done what his wife had 
accused him of doing, but that he was in a situation where he couldn't let him off without a scandal. This is also the, uh, the way it's portrayed in the movie that I told you about, about Joseph. And I, I put information, if you're interested in watching that movie that I think is very good and, and very closely aligned to the, what we're given in the text in Genesis, I've put that information in the notes that's on the website, but it's also on Facebook, on the GBC congregation page in, on Facebook as of this morning. But even when he was put in prison, God prospered Joseph. We're told in 21 to 23, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor at the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners, all the other prisoners, and, and basically let him run the place. Now, we're planning to spend four sermons on Joseph. This being the second. And amazingly, not only does Joseph survive after this story, part of the story, not only does he prosper by the Lord's hand, but he actually ends up delivering his family, including the very ones who sold him into slavery from starvation during a terrible famine and brings them to Egypt where they're reconciled to one another, they live together, and God prospers them there. So there are several, th- th- interestingly, there are several themes in this chapter which are very much uh, on the minds of people in our society today. They're very modern issues. First, um, you know, the, the Me Too movement has raised the issue of sexual aggression. And, um, and Joseph could say, Me Too! Just with all the others who did so and have done so and will do so. Um, it happened to him. Um, and, and there's, you know, things we can learn about that from the story. Then there's also examples of racism in the story. Uh, when Potiphar's wife um, is trying to falsely accuse Joseph, she repeatedly calls him this Hebrew that you brought in to the house. Clearly, the Egyptians looked down on the Hebrews. And she was trying, using his race to uh, make her lie more believable to the people who were already prejudiced against Hebrews. Then there's, you know, the unjust judicial system um, that's here. And we see how Joseph is convicted and imprisoned even though he never did anything wrong. And, uh, and it's certainly, we see that in our society today as well. Um, but these are realities in our sinful world. But they're not, they're in our story, but they're not the main point of the story. They're not what the story's all about. What the story's all about is God's gracious and sometimes grueling dealing with his people. So let's talk about that. We see first in the story of Joseph 
that under the wise rule of God, life is filled with ups and downs. You know, Joseph was honored by his father and given this special coat that elevated him above his brothers. That's an up. But then Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. That's a down. But then God prospers Joseph as Potiphar's servant and puts him in charge of the whole household. That's an up. But then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and imprisoned. That's a down. And then God prospers Joseph in prison. Not only elevating him to a position of leadership and responsibility, but eventually to a high position in the land, second only to Pharaoh. That's an up. Then, and Joseph has one more down in this story, and that's at the very end of Genesis, where he dies before his other older brothers. But of course, we know that there's also one more up, and that is that Joseph will rise again according to the promise of God, and live in glory. My grandfather met, my American grandfather met my English grandmother in Paris, and they married and lived in America. And one of the stories that I heard growing up was when my grandmother's mother came for a visit from England and was taken for the first time to an amusement park. Of course, my grandmother had, my great-grandmother had never been to an amusement park, and my grandmother thought she'd have some fun with her mum and took her on a roller coaster, only telling her that it was a tour ride through the park. She'd never even heard of a roller coaster. Well, you can imagine how that went. Well, in the same way, it's important that we have the right expectation of life. Namely, that it is a roller coaster filled with ups and downs. When you know you're on the, a roller coaster, at least you have the confidence that things are not spinning out of control and that it will soon come to an end. And when you get off, you will be in a place of peace and safety. The fact is, many of us in America have false expectations. We expect a rather smooth life, a ride in the park, if you will with no good reason for that expectation. It may be part of the American dream, but it's not part of what the Bible leads us to expect from the Christian life. So the ups and downs of life alarm us because we're expecting a tour in the park. But if we listen to God's word, we shouldn't be surprised when things go wrong. In fact, 1 Peter 4.12 says... Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. The fact that Peter wrote this means that God's people are often surprised when they experience difficult things. And he had to remind them, just as this story reminds us, 
you know, things happen and we say, what's wrong? Think about that question. What's wrong? Like, there's something that has gone off track that's making things not go smoothly. What's wrong? But troubles are not strange things for the Christian. Scripture tells us that the world is cursed by God himself. And just as he's very good at blessing, so he's very good at cursing as well. And this means that life will not be a fairy tale. That things will go wrong. That things often don't work like they seem like they should. And believers are the ones who ought to understand why life is like this. We're the ones who shouldn't be surprised. We're the ones who ought to know that ultimately a smooth and easy life isn't even good for us. The good news is that Christians have three things which enable them to face life's trials and even have joy in the midst of them. The first thing that Christians have to enable them to face life's trials is that they have the knowledge that there's a good purpose for their troubles. That they are sent to help us to grow. God disciplines those he loves to produce a harvest of peace and righteousness as we learn in Hebrews 12, 6 and 11. You see, God has a curriculum for each one of us, custom crafted perfectly for who we are and who God wants us to be. And just like every good curriculum, God's curriculum for us includes difficulties and challenges. God knew exactly what Joseph needed. God wanted to prosper him and make him great. But he knew that in order for Joseph to prosper and to be an effective tool for delivering God's people, he would need to be broken and humbled and shown his, all, his own weakness all through suffering. And God in his perfect wisdom knows exactly what we need to become what he wants us to be. And all we need to do is trust Trust that he's smarter than us, that he knows everything and we know so little, and that he loves us with a perfect love. The second thing that Christians have, which enable us to face life's trials, is the knowledge that in the end, everything will make sense and that we will experience a glory which far outweighs all the pain. That's the whole point of the story of Joseph, in my opinion. At the end, everyone is happy. Everyone is better off. Everyone understands what happened and why. Everyone sees that God was working everything for good. And so it will be for us. And this assurance helps us to trust in the face of our own struggles. You know, sometimes we're pretty good at facing minor troubles. Losing a wallet. Getting a headache. Being misunderstood by someone. 
But this story is talking about big troubles, like being sold into slavery, like having your precious son killed by a wild beast, like being put in prison for something you didn't do. It shows us that even major things are a part of God's curriculum and plan. But there is a third thing that believers know which helps us through our hardships. We know that God is with us, helping us in the journey along the way. That he doesn't forsake us or abandon us. We certainly see this in the story as the realities of the world press down on Joseph. We see that God keeps lifting him up. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 about himself and about the other apostles. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Persecuted I'm sorry, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So we are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. God is with us. The Lord's blessing is often not in removing our hardships, but in prospering us in the midst of our hardships. The Lord was with Joseph and kept prospering him as a slave, as a prisoner. You know, the story shows us that it's much better to be a slave who God is helping than a free, a free person who doesn't feel the need for God's help. It's much better to be in prison, being shown the Lord's steadfast love, than to be free, but be distant from any sense of the Lord's love. Even if you're a slave, even if you're in prison, God can make you prosper. And the, the history is replete with examples of stories of people who have prospered in the darkest places by the grace of God. God can prosper us even when we're unemployed. God can prosper us even when we're sick. God can prosper us even when we're alone. God can prosper us even when we're old. God can prosper us even when we're retired. Even when we're abused. Even when we're rejected. The story of Joseph teaches us that we have a gospel big enough to work for slaves big enough to work for prisoners, big enough to work for those who lose a loved one, big enough to work for those whose children turn against them. However, all this does not take away from the fact that sometimes life is very hard. Sometimes it feels more like more than you can bear. I personally don't like roller coasters. I went on a few when I was a young man, and now they are on my list of things to avoid. But I have to admit that the experience of going on a roller coaster did me good. 
I saw that things can be very much in control even when they seem completely out of control. I learned that terror and ecstasy aren't as far apart as we might think. I learned that one moment you can be wishing to die and the very next moment so happy to be alive. The life of Joseph was indeed a roller coaster. This is not the story of Joseph happily smiling his way through all of his troubles. In the movie of Joseph, we see him in prison crying out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's probably pretty accurate in terms of his experience. It sometimes looks like faith doesn't work. Joseph did just what he should have done. He fled Potiphar's wife and her unwanted advances, and yet he ended up in prison. He was punished for doing good. Sometimes in Joseph it looks like the ones who do whatever they want get rewarded, while the ones who do the right, right thing get punished or deprived. And you know, sometimes that's the way life is experienced. But it's only temporary. I mentioned at the beginning of the service that all of us should be familiar with Psalm 73. I'd like to go back there just for a moment. I told you that the psalmist tells the story of how it seemed to him like his righteousness was actually hurting him. While the ones who did whatever they wanted, seemed to prosper. And that all this changed when he walked into the temple of God and realized that in the end, those who do whatever they want will be destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Verse 19. While God continually abides with his children, guiding them and eventually receiving them into glory. Verse 23. I mean, read the story. Joseph's life looked like one disaster after another. Heartbreak on top of heartbreak. But God was with Joseph. And that made all the difference in the world. And through it all, God shows us that it's better to be a slave with him than to be a master without him. It's better to be with God in the dungeon than without God in the bed of adultery. It's better to suffer loss with God than to have everything you want and not have him. Because ultimately, he who has Christ has everything. And he who is without Christ has nothing. And this morning, if you are without Christ, don't let another day go past without giving your life to him, without repenting of your sin, without running into his arms of love. Now we're going to sing Lamb of God before we take the Lord's Supper.
Son, no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty son and to become the Lamb of God. Lord Jesus Christ, like Joseph, you were falsely accused. Like Joseph, you you were punished even though you had done right, only right. And like Joseph, you redeemed your people. And we can see that all the turmoil and all the struggle and all the suffering was designed for a reason, a good and wonderful reason. And dear Lord, we thank you for what you have done. And we put our hands over our mouths, dear Lord, because so often we complain, so often we protest that things aren't going the right way instead of letting you be God and remembering that we're not. Help us to trust you, Lord. And now we come to celebrate what you've done. And dear Lord, we pray that you would meet us here with forgiveness, with grace, and lift up our souls even as you lifted up Joseph. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.